I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I am actually in the Guinness Book of World Records. I really am. Now, how? Why? What feat of amazing strength did you do? Well, it's nothing like that. I happen to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for uh, being part of the largest group in history ever to sit on a whoopee cushion at the same time. It's true. Uh, I went to this leadership conference, and you say, how does leadership conference in a whoopee cushion match? I have that. I have no idea. But uh, they said, we're gonna all, everybody got a whoopee cushion, and they said, we're all going to sit on it at the exact same time. And the people from Guinness actually flew out to where this conference was to witness it and videotape it. And we did. And sure enough, the next year that the Guinness book, you know, the world book came out, uh, we were there inducted. Now, I tell you that because I feel like what I'm about to do is worthy of another record. I am about to explain women in 40 minutes. All right. Many have tried and failed. All right. Uh, Sigmund Freud, who I rarely quote, um, he said this. He said, after counseling for 25 years, I simply have one question for women. What do you want? Um, there's a book that came out several years ago called Everything That Men Know About Women. It was a 300-page book. All the pages were blank. All right? So that's kind of where we're starting from. Now, the deal is this, is that, you know, we live in a world that has so confused the issue of gender that it's really no surprise that uh, women aren't really sure as to who they're supposed to be. You may have heard of the report that came out. Um, these, these two girls who are uh, students at the Wharton School of Business, which is a very prestigious business school, uh, they put out this, this thesis, this report, which was a really very interesting study that I read this past week. Um, and the study was this. It was 40 years after feminism, women are less happy and more stressed. And they, they really, the, 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 the thesis, the paper opens up that, that's like, it's just this paradox. In fact, that's the word that they use. They call it the paradox of female unhappiness. That 40 years of feminism brought so much to women. They, they, there was so much equality that was brought. There was a lot of great things that the uh, feminist movement gave to women. And so, but the, the problem was, like, if, if there's, the gender gap is narrowing, and so there's equal pay for the equal amount of work, whether you're a man or a woman, and that's kind of been handled. And right now, as we, as we speak, there's more women graduating from high school than men. How is it that women are so unhappy? Now, listen, I, I believe that one of the reasons why that's the case is, is quite simple. It's because we've blurred the lines so much that we're not really sure, you know, women are confused as to what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to be because the feminist movement, what it gave women was the opportunity to do whatever it is they wanted to do. But what it lacked was clarity as far as who women were supposed to be. And that's kind of where some of the problem came into play. And instead, in contrast to that, the Bible is very clear as far as who men are and who women are. In, in your outline that I hope you've got in your Bible, you'll see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says these words. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The idea is this, is that men and women were created in the image of God. And we both express God's character and God's nature in unique ways. 
Not just men, but both men and women uniquely created in God's image, expressing his character, expressing his nature in unique ways. You see, I'm very thankful that while our culture may be confused about gender, God is not confused about gender. God is not confused about what a real man is. God is not confused about what a real woman is. In fact, one of the most powerful, beautiful poems in all of the Bible is not written about the glory of creation or the wonder of nature. It's spoken of about the ideal woman. That's what Proverbs 31 is. It's a poem. And in fact, it's hard for us to really see it as a poem simply because we're reading it in English. If we were reading it in Hebrew, we would understand that it's a poem simply by the way that the poem is constructed. You see, if we were reading Proverbs 31, and I hope you'd turn there with me in your Bible, the, re- the way Proverbs 31 is constructed in Hebrew is like this. The first, from verses 10 through 31, that passage on the ideal woman. Verse 10, here's how it begins. With the first letter of the first word is the Hebrew letter Aleph, which is our, the equivalent of our letter A. The second sentence, the second passage, just starts with Bet, the equivalent of our letter B. And it goes down to C to D, all the way down till you get to verse 31, and you get to the letter Tav, which is the last verse, which is the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. From Aleph to Tav, as we would say, from A to Z. In chronological order, this poem is constructed. Why? Because God is telling us something. That from A to Z, this is what the ideal woman is. It's also constructed, the ancient Hebrews believed, that God constructed it this way for this very purpose, to show us for men and for women to be able to more easily memorize it so that we would understand and we would always be able to know what a real woman looks like, with this, who this ideal woman is. And so it was constructed in that way so that they would always be able to memorize it and know it. How many of you are on TV or have you ever been to Israel? You've seen the Orthodox Jews kind of rocking back and forth when they pray. Maybe you see them at the Western Wall. You see them, you see them praying. And sometimes we wonder, and I remember being at the Western Wall now almost 10 years ago and standing there praying. And, and on either side of me, um, these, uh, these Orthodox uh, Hasidic Jews just rocking back and forth. With their with their prayer shawl uh, over their heads, which in that culture was called the prayer closet. So when Jesus says, go into your prayer closet, he wasn't talking about go into the room with all of your clothes and underwear. He was talking about this place where you close off the entire world. And then if you would see, they've got these little books open and they're going back and forth. Well, why are they rocking back and forth? They're rocking back and forth to create rhythm because they, they have this belief that if I can create rhythm, then what will take place is, is that my, my prayers will be a little bit more uh, articulate. I'll, it, it will recall to my memory that which I need to understand, that which I need to remember. And as they just rock back and forth, they're asking God, God, please help me to flow into the rhythm of, of life, the rhythm of what you've called me to, to get out of the rhythm of maybe what I've been in into the rhythm of what you want me to be. It's why they rock back and forth. It's why this poem is constructed from A to Z so that we would always remember and know. Now, here's what I can tell you is that sometimes if you've ever... Can I ask this, girls? How many of you have ever read Proverbs 31? You've read, all right, good. Well, a lot of you, great. Some of you uh, read it maybe this week. Now, here's the thing. Most women read Proverbs 31 and they say, holy cow, how in the world am I supposed to do that? In fact, there's a Christian book that came out several years ago that talked about how if a woman only sleeps like three hours a day, she can do all of this in the course of a day. 
which is just kind of foolish because they misunderstand what, what the idea of, of, of this poem is. The poem is this, is that it's supposed to be, it's the ideal woman, but over the course of her life. She accomplishes all of this, she does all of this, but it's not what she does like in the course of a weekend. She does this over the course of her entire life. And so, girls, I say that to you to say, don't be freaked out, don't be scared after reading this. But listen, this is the woman that God wants you to become. Guys, this is the woman that God wants you to find, the woman that God is preparing for you. You see, girls, I can tell you this, that we live in a culture that is so confused about gender. It's so incredibly confused about gender. It has no idea uh, what, what, what a real woman is. In fact, what, uh, you're bombarded with images. You're bombarded with advertisements. You're bombarded, bombarded with slogans and with words seeking to make you feel somewhat inadequate. Also, you'll buy a certain product to make you hopefully feel adequate. And that is completely the opposite of what God does. Instead, he lays out the ideal and he says, here's the ideal and I'm going to help you get there. Guys, I would say this to you is don't settle. Don't settle. And I will tell you this. If you want to get a woman of this caliber, it will take becoming a man of God to get her. Because this kind of virtuous woman, this kind of woman of noble character is not going to put up with a slouch. Instead, she's looking for a man of God to be able to stand next to her and be able to stand with her. Parents, I'm so glad you're here because there are little kids in our homes that need to understand this. There's little girls that need to understand that this is the model that God has for them, that all of these other images, all these other ideas, all these other worldviews, listen, that are trying to corrupt, corrode and confuse what it is to be a real woman. Listen, that it's all twisted and messed up. But what God has given us is something pure and something ideal and something worth striving towards becoming. Guys, I would tell you this, don't just settle for a pretty face. Guys who just settle for a pretty face end up miserable on the other side. And here's what I would say. Become the man God wants you to become, and you will find that God brings you this woman. If you will wait, and if you will become, and you will seek him and become the person that he wants you to become. Because listen, there's so many ideas out there on what a real woman is, but this is the one that really matters, because this is God's opinion. We're going to start in verse 10 of Proverbs 31. Here we go. It says, Who can find a virtuous woman? Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, and so she will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, and if you're taking notes in the outline that we gave you, here's the first thing that I want you to know, these four characteristics of this ideal woman. The first is this, is that she is faithful to her husband. She's faithful to her husband because verse 12 says she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. I was talking to a woman recently uh, who had to take her husband to the doctor. He was having all kinds of problems and complications that she brought him in, and, and the doctor ran a bunch of tests. And afterwards, the doctor came in and was talking to both of them and said that, listen, you've got some problems here and we've got you've got to make. But they're all corrective. You know, you can you can correct this, um, but you're going to have to make some changes into your lifestyle. So he laid out some things for him. And then as they were walking out, he said to um, the man's wife, he said, would you stop, stay a moment so I can speak to you in private? And so the husband walks out and the husband speaks to uh, this this woman in private and says, listen, your husband is seriously ill. 
He's seriously ill, and if you want him to live, then you need to create a stress-free environment for him. So here's what I'm recommending. Don't push him to do chores. Don't nag him. Cook him his favorite meals. Let him watch football in peace. And don't make like a big deal about taking out the garbage. You take it out if you have to. But listen, if you do all of those things, he's going to recover. She says, all right, doctor, thank you very much. I appreciate that. She walks out, and you can imagine what the husband is thinking. Like, what what was this doctor saying to her in private? And so he says, honey, what did the doctor say? And she says, honey, the doctor says you're going to die. Um, Now, that's the opposite of this Proverbs 31 woman. She does her husband good all the days of his life. And that's why he trusts her. That's why he trusts her. Listen, in Proverbs 12, verse 4, it's in your notes. It says this, a wife of noble character. By the way, noble character, virtuous woman, same word in Hebrews. In Hebrew, it says a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife is like decay to his bones. Guys, listen to me. Here's the thing that's so important for you to note. According to that verse, the greatest achievement, the greatest blessing that you will ever have in your life is to be able to win the heart of a woman with noble character, a virtuous woman. That is the greatest achievement. That is the crown of anything you could possibly do in your life. Out, business, you name what, it could do, you, what you could do. Win the Heisman if you want. Um, do whatever. But the greatest achievement that you could have in your life is to win the heart of a virtuous and noble woman. Um, because guys, the greatest source of blessing in your life will come through the woman that God gives you. And if you don't choose well, the greatest source of pain in your life will come through the person that you choose. Guys, it's so important because it's not just that you need to find a woman who says, well, you know, OK, so we're, we're, we're both Christians and we both go to church and, and that's OK. Listen, you're you're looking for a woman. You're looking for something deeper than that. You're looking for a woman who says we're going in the same direction. We have the same heart for God, the same passions, the same things that 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 make our heart beat fast. Those are the things that we're walking in that same direction together. Because listen, note this in Amos chapter three, verse three. It says this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? The answer is obviously no. If you say east and I say west, we're not going to go very far together. But the idea, the understanding is that you find two people that are headed in the same direction. And then you've got something amazing. The Bible says this, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. You want to know what ends unnecessary quarreling? By the way, I know couples who tell you they have no conflict. There's a word for couples who say that. You may want to write this down. The word is liar. Um, But every couple has conflict. The question is, how do you get rid of unnecessary conflict? Here's how you get rid of unnecessary conflict. Know what you're getting into before you get in. Know what you're getting into before you say, I do. Understand this person's heart, this person's desire, this person's passions, this person's commitments. When I was in college, I was in Bible college, and so when when I was in Bible college, um, there was a bunch of us that kind of hung around and were friends. And um, one of the things that would happen is is that the, the guys that were you know, not really spoken for, would, you know, were all looking to find a godly woman and get married. And so they were, they were looking, and we had kind of this code that we had come up with when a guy started talking to a girl and he found her attractive, and maybe they started talking or went out on a date or whatever. And, um, you know, because we understand that God, we understood God created us as, as like a threefold being, right? 
God created us body, soul, and spirit. That is the body, the physical, the spirit we understand, that which connects to God. And then the, the soul, in the Greek, it's the word psyche, where we get our word psychology that speaks of the mind, that speaks of the emotions. So this refers to um, your, your, your passions, your, your talents. It refers to um, your, your common interests. And so a guy would go out with a girl and then he would say, well, hey, what, what, how'd it go? And he'd say this, he'd say two out of three. Two out of three, well, if you like meatloaf, two out of three ain't bad. But I know like two people got that joke, I know. That was like one of the best-selling hits of the 70s, but most of you were born after the release of Return of the Jedi, so I don't even know why I'm bringing up that joke. Uh, it just makes me feel old. Um, but here's the thing is that, listen, two out of three is not going to cut it. It's like, yeah, I found her really attractive, and we're both Christians, but we have nothing in common. It's not enough. Or it's like, man, we, she's beautiful and we have so much in common, but she's not a Christian. Listen, it's just not enough. You see, you're looking for three out of three. That's what you're looking for. You want to be, listen, a man who says that this is the, the, this is this woman of noble character. This is the crown of my life. This is what you want to find. You want to find three out of three. A woman that you do find beautiful inside and out. A woman that loves Jesus as much as you do. And that you do connect on an emotional level where you say we do have the same interests and things that, that we care about and that we're passionate about. Listen, guys and girls, don't settle for two out of three or one out of three. Listen, you want all three. And God wants to do that in your life. Listen, the great, guys, the greatest blessing you will ever experience is God bringing this kind of woman into your life. But it takes you becoming the kind of man that can win the heart of this woman. What is this woman like? Let me tell you a little bit more in verse 13. She's amazing. This is what she does. It says this. It says, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships and she also brings food from afar. She also rises while it's night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. If you pause there and give me your attention, if number one was that she's faithful to her husband, number two is that she is attentive to her home. She's attentive to her home. I love what it says that he, she brings food from afar, right? She can cook and she can bring you the flavors of Italy to your dining room. She can cook the, bring you all of Asia into that stir fry that she makes. She can cook European food. She can cook American food, Latin food, all kinds of food. She's like the merchant ships bringing in food from afar. But the thing is, what does that note? It notes this quite simply. It means that she understands that her primary responsibility is to her home. Listen, we're going to talk about this in a moment in the next point, that she's a woman that's very entrepreneurial. But I want to give you the flip side of that for this, in, in, in this part. And that is that even though this woman is entrepreneurial in what she can do and what she can accomplish and, and the business deals that she can make, she recognizes that her primary responsibility is to put her family first. Now, this is where it's going to get a little bit tense, so you may want to, like, loosen up a little bit, because it's going to get a little tense for a few minutes, so breathe in, breathe out, here we go. Um, girls, please listen to me. It is your husband's primary responsibility to provide for your family. It's, your hu- not, it's not saying, listen to what I'm saying, I'm not saying that it, you're not able to provide for your family. That's already a given. The study that, that we read, you can go ahead and read that for yourself. We've already shown that. We've already seen that. 
But see, in the book of Genesis, chapter three, when man tried to shirk his responsibility, God said, you're responsible. God made man the priest and the pastor, the shepherd of his home. And listen, God, man has called you to be the one who provides for your family. Does that mean your wife can't work? That's not the issue. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Listen, part of the reason, and interestingly enough, that study that I read this week from Wharton Business School has been all over the news, and people are fascinated by this. Why are women less happy and more stressed? Here's, what the, con- here's the conclusion they came to, which I thought was fascinating. They said, we believe that part of the, the problem is, is that women are trying to be men. Wow. What are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that God gave the primary responsibility for providing for his home. He gave that to the man. And yet what happens sometimes is that then the man will say to his wife, I need you to do this. So I, I can't provide for our family, but I need you to do this. And then what happens is this, and I'm not saying it's wrong for women to work. What I am saying is that a woman's job and career should never come before her responsibility to her family. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. Guys, women think about this all the time. Guys, we don't think about this. I want you to think about the typical woman's day. This is a typical day for, for, for a working mom. She gets up before everybody else. She gets the kids up. She makes them breakfast. She gets them dressed. She makes their lunch for school. Then, after all of that, she makes her husband breakfast and helps him get dressed, because Lord knows he needs help. Um, and then she goes and drops the kids off at school, because she leaves before him. And then he finally goes to work. And then she goes to now to her job, where she spends eight hours. And then after that... Whoever has picked up the kids from school, she goes and picks them up. She brings them home. She gets home. Her husband has, gets home. And then once she gets home, she's got to help with homework. After she's done with homework, she's got to get dinner going. After she gets dinner going and cleans up uh, the dinner, she's got to get the kids ready for bed. She finally puts the kids in bed. Then she cleans up the kitchen if it hasn't been cleaned up. And her husband, who's been sitting on the couch since he got home at 5.15, then whispers in her ear, let's get jiggy with it. And she's like, are you kidding? I'm exhausted. He's like, I'm not. I've been laying on the couch for six hours. And now, listen, that is neither fair nor realistic. And so, guys, here's the deal. The man who does that does not understand that he is the shepherd of his home. And does not understand that he's putting undue pressure on his wife, and that's why she's stressed out. And that's why she's unhappy. Because he somehow made a decision that takes her away from the very thing that she wants to do, which is raise her children. It's not that she can't work and can't make a lot of money. That's not the point. The point is is that God has called the man to be the provider and has called a woman to, to make the home her priority. And what happens is this. Guys... If you are making the decision that says, for us to be able to live the way that we want to live, both my wife and I have to work. All right? That's a decision that you make. But here's what I would say. If you're going to pull your wife outside the home to have to work to fulfill the responsibility that God has given to you, then what you have to do is decide that I will now have to work some inside the home to make up for the fact that I've pulled my wife some out of the home because it's the only way that it's going to work. If I pull her outside of the home, I've got to begin to help and take responsibility inside of the home. Because, guys, God is holding you responsible. 
God is holding you responsible for the development of those kids. You see, when you're first married and you don't have kids, I think it's fine for both of you to work. But I think it's also important for you to have a plan that says, here's the deal. I know that we're both working, but when we have kids, we don't want, I, I, you know, we don't want you to have to work. So what we're going to do is we're going to start creating the kind of life now, not overextending ourselves so that we're completely dependent on your income to be able to live. Instead, what would be even best is if you're going to work, let's put that money into savings, let's put that money into our retirement so that when the day comes that you don't have to work, now it's not this huge blow because we haven't been living on that income to begin with. And then what takes place is you're able to make the decision that says this, that says, my family is so important, these kids are so important. Dads, God is holding you responsible and accountable for the training of those kids. Ah, they'll go to school. They'll figure it out. They'll read by the time they're 10. You know, guess what? In America, 25% of kids who graduate high school cannot read the diploma they are given. So don't put too much faith in the educational system. All right? God has given that responsibility to you. And you've got to decide now, as the pastor and the shepherd of your home, what's the best when it comes to my family? My wife worked until she got pregnant with my daughter. And then we made that decision that said, listen, we will do whatever it takes, sacrifice whatever we have to for you to be home. Because we recognize that who those kids become is in direct relation to the time that my wife and I spend with them. No, but somebody else watches them. No, it's, it's, it's not enough. You're their parents. I'm Mia's dad. I'm Xander's dad. Carrie is Xander and, and Mia's mom. And we're the ones that need to spend time with them. Oh, but see, I believe in quality time, not quantity time. Do you know they polled kids and asked them, would you rather have quantity time or quality time with your kids? And all of them said quantity time. Because the understanding is you can't have quality time until you have quantity time. The primary focus of the Proverbs 31 woman and any man of God that wants to win her heart is to understand and obey God's design for the home. Now, before you think I'm a chauvinist, let me give you the other verses. Um, So exhale. Everybody's feeling good. All right. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. And her, from her prophets, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the second point we said was that she's attentive to her home. The third thing is, is that she is industrious with her hands. That's the flip side of the verse. And that is, this woman is an entrepreneur. This is the first person in the Bible flipping real estate. She buys a field, she sells it, she has a vineyard, now she's selling grapes and wine to all these people. And that's the thing that's amazing. She, then she's got all this clothing that she sells. This woman is an entrepreneur. And it's not that there's a contradiction in these verses. It's that she has the abilities, and when she has time, she does it, but she understands that her primary responsibility before God is to her home, because that comes first and career comes second. And that's what my wife did before we had kids. Uh, my wife had this company that she started decorating cakes 
and making cakes. I mean, it was incredible. She'd make like these amazing. We have all the pictures at home of all of these incredible five, six layer cakes that she'd make for weddings, for baby showers, for, you know, who knows what, all these things. And um, then when um, she got pregnant, she says, you know, I'm going to stop that. And so she ended up kind of uh, that kind of she stopped doing that. Plus, I gained 30 pounds while she was doing that. And so she thought there might be something else because I was taking too much joy in her work. Um, because if you know this, you know, cakes kind of are like a little bit oval on top. And so she, you know, you have to like cut the top off so that they're flat. So you can put the next layer on. Well, she would cut the top off and then the little top would disappear. Like this frisbee of cake would disappear. Bob, do you know where it went? I, I don't know. I have no idea where it went. You know, no idea. But let me say this. The guys will like this. Did you notice in verse 17? Let me read it to you again. Uh, it, it says this. It says, uh, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. You know what that means? She works out. She takes care of herself. This woman is hot. If you knew that or not, she's hot. And th- that's the deal. But listen, make no mistake, she's smart too. The Bible says in the last verses that we're going to read that when she opens her mouth, what comes out is wisdom. So she's not just a pretty face. She's someone who has a real mind for business. She has an understanding of life. She knows how things work. And when she opens her mouth, what comes out is wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs 11:22, it says this. It says a beautiful woman who acts foolishly is like a gold ring on the snout of a pig. That is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs because it's just so hilarious. Uh, and it's true. I mean, you see a gold, snout, a gold ring on a, on a pig and you're like, that doesn't fit. In the same way... A beautiful woman that can't make wise decisions, the Bible would say it's the same thing that's foolish. In verse 22, it says this. It says that her clothing is fine linen and purple. Understand what that means. Purple was the most expensive type of clothing at that time. And the reason is, is because of the way that it was, uh, because of the way that you had to make purple. You had to take these, it was actually made from this worm. And it was called the Toloth worm. The Toloth is the term in Hebrew. And so there was, there was this Toloth worm that the worm would fasten itself to a tree and it would essentially explode. And then you would take um, this, this blood kind of discharge from this worm and get a lot of it. I mean, imagine how much blood a worm can produce. And then you would take it and then you would have to wait until you had a lot of it. And then you would dip the clothing in that and go through this whole series of treatments for this white linen, this whole thing to eventually turn purple. So you can imagine how long the process is to produce a purple garment. And then at the same time, how expensive it would be to produce a purple garment. And that's why that even today that purple is a symbol of royalty. It's because in that culture, 3000 years ago, the only people who could afford purple were royalty. And the Bible says this, that's how her family is clothed. I mean, to say that, oh, she dresses in purple is like today saying she shops at Nordstrom. I mean, she's her family wears the best. And that's the thing that's that's so important. And it kind of brings up a, a, a side point to this. that's important for men and women to understand. Guys, men want to express their beauty. You see, guys spend their life answering a different question. Guys spend their life answering this question, do I have what it takes? That's why, girls, when, you, uh, when he's driving and he misses the turn and you tell him that he's not a good driver and he has no idea where he's going, you, you, you're, you, you're saying you missed the turn. This is what he hears. You don't have what it takes to get us from where we are to where we need to be. 
Now, he may not even realize that that's the thing intuitively and say, well, why does he blow up when I just tell him he missed the turn? It's because there's something core inside of him as to who he is that says God has wired us that we're always asking the question, do I have what it takes? Women ask a different question. The question that women ask is this, am I lovely? Am I beautiful? Am I worthy of being pursued? You see, guys, that's why your wife is always buying clothes. It's true. That's true. It's why she's always buying clothes. And you say, but Bob, we have a walk-in closet that's the size of a Taco Bell. And it's full of clothes that she has. And she walks in and she comes out ten minutes later and says, I don't have anything to wear. How is that humanly possible? Now check this out. And girls, you may need to correct me, but I've shared this with hundreds of women over the years, and they've all told me, Bob, you're right. Here's what it is. A woman buys an outfit. And she buys the outfit because she believes that she can express her beauty through the outfit, through the clothing that she has. And then there gets to a point when she's worn this outfit several times that she no longer feels beautiful in the outfit that she's wearing. And then she tries to mix it and match it with something else, and that works okay. But after a while, it's not that she's saying, I don't have anything to wear when she walks out of the closet. She's saying, I don't have anything that makes me feel like I'm expressing beauty anymore. That's the difference. We might say something, but there's, there's this core issue that's, that's taking place. Guys, that's why women are obsessed with answering this question. These genes make me look fat. Right? And listen, and, and, and the, this is what's so important. This is what's so important. Is that, guys, our role. You want to have a Proverbs 31 woman? Here, here's what it is. You tell her that she's beautiful before she asks. And you don't just say, yeah, you look great. That's not good enough. You tell her why she looks beautiful. Your hair looks great. Your makeup looks great. I love that outfit. Is that top new? I love those shoes. Whatever it is. I mean, they want to express beauty. And they want you to notice. To say, well, if you got your hair cut, you should have told me. No, that doesn't work. She wants you to notice because if she has to tell you, then she's not beautiful to you. I did my toes. Can you tell? Honey, you're wearing boots. Doesn't matter. You should have noticed. I mean, that's, that's the deal. I mean, she wants to express beauty. And, and listen, and if you want this kind of woman, here's what you do. And you want a woman that never has to go anywhere else to know if she's beautiful and if she's expressing beauty and if she's worthy of being pursued. You make sure daily that you're telling her, you are beautiful, you are lovely, you are worthy to be pursued. You are this kind of woman. And guys, that starts, that starts early. It starts earlier than I thought. I bought my daughter a dress a while ago. I mean, I've done that before, but I, I bought her a dress and, um, uh, I, you know, she, she was so excited and she went into her room and her mom helped her put it on and I was out in the living room and she came out and she had the dress like this and she spun around and she said, Bobby, am I a beautiful princess? And I knelt down and I said, Mia, you are a beautiful princess. You are the most beautiful little girl in the world. And here's the thing that's amazing. At two years old, she's asking the question, am I lovely? Am I beautiful and am I worthy to be pursued? 
we went to the pumpkin patch here down the street last week. And we told Mia that she could pick out a Mia-sized pumpkin. So she could pick out, you know, she couldn't pick out something that was like giant, but something that she, as long, if she could carry it, then she could buy it. And so she picks out this pumpkin that was so small, it's like the size of a plum. I mean, literally, I mean, you could fit it in your pocket. Um, I mean, it's like, it's like the size of like a big vitamin. Um, and so she buys this little pumpkin, but she, I say, okay, that's the one you want, Mama, let's go. And so she walks up, and, you know, we took a bunch, I think we took like over a hundred pictures of her at this pumpkin patch. And then we walk up, and she puts the, um, uh, she puts the pumpkin there at the counter to pay for it. And the, and the two women on the back, they see her and they say, wow, well, aren't you pretty? And she says, I'm Mia, and I am a beautiful princess. And I'm behind her, and I go, yes. That's right, you are. Now listen, parents, it starts early. It starts early. You see, guys, can I, can I just encourage you to do something? Um, one of the things that I do, my, my, this is my personal thing that I do, I buy my daughter flowers all the time. I bought, in fact, on Sunday, on the way home from church, um, just talking about being a real man and all that, and I stopped and I bought her some, some little flowers and I gave them to her, and I said, this is for my beautiful princess. And so I, I cut them and I put them in this little plastic vase for her, and my daughter walked around with those flowers for hours. The next day, Mommy, did you see the flowers that Poppy got for me? Poppy, smell the flowers. Don't they smell good? She takes them and like shoves them in her brother's face, you know, and I'm like, Mia, don't kill your brother, please. Let him breathe. And, and, and all this, but she's just, and listen, I do this. You know why? Because I don't want some 15 year old punk to be the first person to ever give my daughter flowers. Periodically, I take my daughter out, just her and I, on a date. We do. I take her out on a date. We go out, just her and I, wherever she wants to go. And we'll go out to eat and we'll go to like some of her favorite places, like the Disney store. And she'll get a special present, and, and we'll do that. I'll take it to fancy restaurants like Chick-fil-A. And, um, you know, you can say filet. It sounds French. And uh, I'll take her to these places. And listen, and it's just, it's just my time with her. Because I don't want, when she's 14, 15 years old, for some guy to show up on our doorstep to want to take her out and her not to know how to conduct herself on a date. You see, it starts early that we teach our kids. And let me tell you something. The 10 minutes before the date isn't the time that you tell a girl how to conduct on a date and think it's going to stick. If you've gotten to that point, you've already missed it. No, it's, you start it early because what a little girl is, try, is asking, and by the way, she wants to know from the most important person in her life, who, by the way, Dad, that's you, she wants to know, am I beautiful, am I lovely, and am I worthy to be pursued? And if you don't answer that question for her, she will find someone else and she will spend her whole life looking to answer that question from someone else. And girls, let me tell you this. If you didn't have a dad who did this, can I just share this with you? That's how God sees you. God sees you and here's what he says. That is a beautiful princess. Because he sees everything that you're able to become. If we simply will say, God Yes, I want to be that daughter of yours. I want to be that woman. Let me read you the rest of this, because this is where it gets good. It says this in verse 23, Her husband is known in the gates. 
when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linens and sells them. Linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her husband and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also and he praises her. And here's what he says. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fading. But a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. If I pause there and give me your attention one more time. Let me give you the last thing. The last thing is she's not only faithful to her husband, attentive to her home, industrious with her hands, but number four, she is praised for her holiness. That's what he means, that charm is deceitful and beauty is fading, but a woman who fears the Lord, she is to be praised. I have a friend that years ago was interested in this girl. And when I found out, I sat him down, him and a a friend of mine, um, we sat him down. And this is what we said. We said, this girl that you're interested in, is one of the godliest women that we've ever known. And if you want to capture the heart of this woman, you are going to have to become the kind of man that can do it. You're going to have to become the kind of man God wants you to become if you want to capture the heart of this woman. And much to my amazement, if I could be honest with you, he did. And he became that kind of man. And he courted this amazing woman. And he asked her to marry him. And she said yes. And they were married. And I was there. And I was so excited for them. And today this man is one of the people that I respect most in the world. And I believe that much of that is tied to the fact that he wanted to win the heart of this woman of noble character. And his decision to win the heart of this woman caused him to become more than he he was. And it allowed God to do such an amazing work in his life. It's the same thing that happens in Proverbs 31. It says her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Isn't that an incredible thing? By the way, the gates of the city were like city hall back then. So whoever sat at the gates were the movers and shakers in the town. And, and, and the implication is this, is that she is such an amazing woman that the people look on and they say, listen, if he can get her, then there must be something about him. Because we've all seen that, right? We've all seen a, a guy, we've, we've met him, and then we've met his wife, and she's beautiful, and she's smart, and she's articulate, and she's, she's amazing. And then you look at him. Like, but then you say this. If she could see something in him, he must be pretty good. And so, why? Because it's that whole thing that we talked about in the beginning. That a wife of noble character is the crown of her husband. The greatest achievement, the greatest blessing that you will ever have, men, is pursuing and winning the heart of a woman of noble character. That's why the Bible says this. It says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. There is no greater blessing in life than to capture the heart and win the heart of a virtuous woman. 
There is an unsung hero in this church that never really gets any attention, doesn't ever want it, um, but she's never on the stage and she's never like, you know, in the limelight. And so sometimes uh, people don't realize it. But the unsung hero of this church is my wife, who when we were coming to um, start this church and, and we sat down and I just said, honey, I, I feel so strongly like God is calling us to this place. And we knew what that meant. That up, meant uprooting all of our friendships, all of our relationships, and moving to a city, a place, a town, an area that we knew no one. I knew no one here when we moved here. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but it's, it's a bit of a scary thing. And, and she said, well, honey, let's, let's pray, but here's what I know. Is that I will follow you wherever you go. And... Um, and I remember, um, I remember when things got really hard. Because he, he, here's what I recognize: that it looks kind of easy now. You see, I walk out and I start teaching, and somebody even brings the pulpit out for me. I don't even have to carry it myself. And it's like, wow, that's easy. They put it here, right where he likes it, and then he just puts his Bible down and he starts talking, and it looks kind of easy. And now there's, you know, thousands of people that come to, that call this church home and there's, you know, accolades that come with that of being in the top 1% of churches in America. And like, that just looks pretty easy. And can I tell you something? That there was a time that it was really, really hard. And there came a day that I came to a conclusion that I couldn't do it anymore. And I took my wife out to dinner and we sat down and I said to her and I said, honey, I don't think I can do this anymore. It's too hard. It's too painful. And I don't believe that I'm man enough to be able to take this another season. And, um, and, 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 and with tears in my eyes and with tears in her eyes, she said, Bob, here's, here's the thing. If you don't believe that you're man enough to be able to do this, then we're going to trust God and I'm going to believe for both of us. And, and let me tell you something, that was a defining moment in my life. When I realized just how amazing this woman was that I had, um, that I had married. And... Um, to say that she's been a supportive wife is a complete understatement. I mean, she's the most supportive woman I've ever known. You know, I'm, I'm, I am amazed. Sorry. I'm amazed at the opportunities that God has given me. I'm totally blown away that a guy who failed all four years of English gets to write books. Um, and... I'm amazed that I get asked to speak in places that I get to speak, and the people that I looked up to are now my peers. My wife turned on the TV today in our bedroom, and my daughter was in there, and there was this guy teaching. And I heard her as I was getting dressed, and she says to Mia, she says, Mama, do you see him? That's Bobby's friend. You see, that guy on TV was one of the people that I, I respect most in the world. And... um and God has done a work in my life that the people that I've admired the most are the people that I consider my peers and my friends. And here's what I know. 
It's because of the woman that God brought into my life. When I wrote my first book, I, I, um, I dedicated it to her, and I said to Carrie, um, the greatest woman I know. And, um, you know, she, um, uh, it was my birthday on Wednesday, and I came home, and we had dinner and all that, and, uh, and, uh, and after dinner, um, we were just hanging out, and I got up, and I, I just cleaned the kitchen for her, and, um, and, and she said, no, don't do that, don't do that, it's your birthday, you're not supposed to do cleaning and stuff on your, on your, on your birthday, that's not, that's gotta be against the rules, and, um, and I said, honey, you still don't understand. I said, next month's going to be 17 years that we met. And I'm still trying to be the man that deserves you. And guys, if I can share anything with you, if I can share anything with you from my heart to yours, is that that's what you want. That's what you want. A woman of such amazing and noble character that you will spend the rest of your life trying to become the kind of man that deserves her. And girls, if I can share anything with you, it would be to become that kind of woman and to wait for that kind of man who sees the kind of beauty that you express and affirms that you are beautiful, that you are lovely. And that you are worthy to be pursued by a man of God who loves God above all else. Because Proverbs 31 is a woman. It's not some pipe dream. It's a woman that can become a reality. As we open ourselves up to God and say, God, I will follow where it is that you are leading me. Let's pray together. And God, we thank you so much. God, I thank you for each and every woman that's here. And I pray and I ask that you, God, that you'd help them to see themselves the way you see them. That they are lovely, that they are beautiful, and that they are worthy to be pursued. God, I pray for every man here that we would be the men of God who would be worthy of this type of woman who love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.